0: Thank you, Ryan, so much. And uh, many of you know Ryan, but um, maybe some of you uh, don't know Abby, who is uh, one of our high school um, interns from Liberty University. Been with us uh, now for um, about, uh, well, pretty close, not quite a year. And then Paul, Paul, raise your hand since I see you. Yeah, Chelsea was raised, his wife Chelsea was raised here at our church, and Paul's back. He's uh, uh, actually led worship in several different churches around the area and back with us, and so we appreciate him as well. Let's give them a round of applause, all right, for helping us out this morning and uh, in other weeks as well. <clears throat> well, you've heard it said. In fact, I've heard this on social media quite a bit. I've, I've read it, didn't hear it. I read it. Christ, or rather, Christ has called us not to go to church, but to be the church. How many of you heard that before? All right, read it, heard it. Okay. I take issue with that a little bit. And certainly he has called us to be the church, but I want to share with you this morning that in order to be the church out there, you've got to come to church in here. You say, well, that's not true. You're just saying that because you're the pastor. Well, you're right. No, that's not not true. I'm going to back that statement up, all right, here in just a few minutes. Because as we're looking at the church, we know that sometimes the church has fallen on hard times. Uh, we have a lot of criticism. We have people saying that, well, the church is not that relevant anymore for our life, whatever that means. Or my children now have grown up, and they're out of high school. They're in college. I don't see the need as much, so I just don't come as much anymore. And even people are saying today, well, I love God. I love Jesus, but I just don't go to church anymore. Well, how can you be the church and not come to church? Why is that relevant? And sometimes I know the the church seems to be a little bit of drift. I remember uh, reading the story uh, that back in uh, several years ago, Rear Admiral Robert Perry took another trip to the North Pole. He had been there several times. In fact, he's taken more trips there than any other man uh, ever. But he was taking this trip, and as he was looking at uh, his measurements as he was climbing up and trekking up toward the North Pole, he found out that the latitude was getting closer and closer to the equator. The, the more he went north, the more he went south, until he found out he was on uh, what they call an ice floe, And the ice flow was taking him south quicker than he can go up north. They were adrift, basically. And sometimes you feel like maybe the church has lost its purpose doesn't know what its purpose is. It's kind of adrift in a drift in a little bit. And you really are hesitant anyway to be a part of something that really doesn't know where it's going and having a purpose and really something counting for your life. Well, we must come to church in order to go to church. Why is that so? In Matthew chapter... Uh, 9, as we open this up, we're going to be looking at verses 27 and the following verses real quickly, and we're going to get into the meat of the passage that I want to look at this morning. But as we look at Matthew, you realize, some of you who have not been with us, Matthew's gospel emphasizes the Jewish nation. It is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's why in Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, was saying, hey, you've got to be perfect as your Father, and heaven is also perfect. Well, none of us are perfect. Why did he say that? Because he was trying to convince the Jews that they also needed a Savior in Jesus Christ. They were, they were relying on Abraham of the Old Testament and their Old Testament connections to God as God's chosen people. And Matthew was trying to bring them around and emphasize Jesus' teaching as it pertains to the Jewish people. Then, in chapter 8, he begins to say, in action, speak louder than words, he begins to perform all these miracles because... Not only is he convincing the Jewish nation that they are indeed in need of a Savior, but then he's saying, look, I'm the Savior. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's come because there are many Old Testament prophecies that prophesy what the Messiah would do, including raising the dead, including healing the leper, and he was showing them that he was doing just that. Now, there's an important turn here in chapter 9. As we get into uh, chapter 9 around verse 35, 36, he begins to go from uh, dealing with all the multitudes of people and the multitudes following him around to getting off to himself a little bit with only the 12 disciples, discipling them. Now, why would he do that? I mean, after all, he's got, a, a, you know, a hundreds, hundreds of people, even thousands really, following him on a consistent basis. Why get off in a corner and only teach a few people uh, the real meat of the issues and the purpose of what He is talking about and the purpose of why He's here. Well we're going to look at that and it really centers around two major things. Number one He gives us the reason why He came the purpose. And then He delegates the ministry to them as we talk about a little bit about the preparation of the church. First of all the purpose. We find three things in this passage but first in verse 27 He finishes up this section on miracles where He heals a blind man and then He heals a mute man. And in verse 34, the Pharisees, these are the people that were against Jesus. They were the legalists, and they were the ones adding to the law, and they were the ones revered by the Jewish people. You know, sometimes leaders, when a new leader comes on board, the old leaders are really offended by it all, and they're protecting their turf. And that's basically what the Pharisees were doing. So they make a comment about it coming from the devil. Jesus kind of ignores that right now. We'll come back to it. But he ignores that right now because he's got bigger things to teach. So he teaches, first of all, about three things about his purpose. And Jesus, verse 35, went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. We look at this and we, we find out Jesus going to all these cities in Galilee. Now, Josephus, who was a Roman historian in the, in the first and second century, said that there were about 200 cities Uh, Small cities in Galilee and about three million people altogether. So, Jesus had a lot of places to go and he had a lot of things to do, healing a lot of people, teaching and preaching. But here, the main thing is come back over and over and over again. He's healing to show great miracles as signs, really, to the Jewish nation and also to the multitudes of Gentiles that he is indeed the Messiah and he's come with the gospel of the kingdom. Notice that that is the proclamation of what he's talking about. Now, as we're looking at this, I want us to see that you and I, if we're gonna see his purpose, we need to see what Jesus saw. What did he see? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed. This word literally means troubled, battered. You feel harassed by the world. It wasn't just the Roman Empire. It was just life. They were poor. They were looking for their, you know, living day to day and week to week, as uh, some people even do today. And so they were looking at this, and Jesus saw them as harassed. He, found, he, saw, he saw them as helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, when we think about sheep, we think about a dumb animal. So why in the world are we constantly compared to sheep in the Bible? Well, because... <laughs> yeah yeah we're we're kind of dumb so I'm not dumb man I teach over here at the university or something no you're not dumb by human standards and it's not talking necessarily about the things of the world mathematics or science or history I mean it's kind of some of that we don't know uh, as much as we as much as God does but he's talking about we're spiritually dumb we just don't have any information about God whatsoever unless he reveals it to us and so we have no guidance We have no protection like sheep without a shepherd. So he had compassion for them. Why did he see them with compassion? Why did he see the crowds at all? Because he was looking. He was looking. We saw the disciples saw the same crowds. They weren't looking. They pushed the children away. Hey, look, get get away from the master. We've got important things to do here. They pushed away the woman who was with an issue of blood that we talked about a few weeks ago. He pushed it, pushed her. They didn't see the way Jesus was seeing the situation. Now, do you see? Do you see? Uh, my wife and I had a chance to go to Bay Hill this week. One day we had some passes. Somebody here in the church gave us a couple of passes to go. And uh, we went, and it was hot. First of all, let me just share that with you. I mean, it is Florida, right? And so we went, and we were there in the afternoon. And all I could think about, I couldn't see anything. I mean, the crowds were gathered around you know, the the major players, and you could barely, you just sort of peeking through the tall guys. All all the tall guys got there early, and they got, you know, right there against the ropes. And uh, if they weren't tall, they were big. And so you barely saw things. We finally, I mean, we had a great time. But we got to the 18th hole and said, this is where we need to sit. And so we went up, sat there in the bleachers, and it was really kind of hot. And, And Pam says, why don't I sit in front of you so you'll give me some shade? Well, I don't know why she thought I was necessarily a lot of shade, but you laugh so evidently you know why. But anyway, so I was sitting there, and she was sitting in front of me, and I had this bench next to me. And these two ladies came by and said, can, can I get my? I said, sure. And so I stood up, and I finally realized after walking for four or five hours just how stiff I was. And how much pain I was feeling. So I stood up and I got out of the way and let them pass through. Got back, sat back down. And this guy come, came through because he was with the two two ladies. And I thought, man, couldn't you come together? You know, I mean. <laughs> so I get up and I and I move and let him in and I sat back down. Here's the other guy. He comes. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm with those guys. You know. And I said, okay. And I wanted to say, is there anybody else in your group? But I didn't. I said, oh, no, go right ahead. No trouble at all, you know. That's a civilized way of doing things. I didn't see it. I got to admit, studied my message last night. I said, God, boy, this could have been a great sermon illustration, how I saw the crowd. I saw the multitudes of people all around being lost, sheep without a shepherd. But I can't give that illustration. Now, contrast that. I don't always do bad things. I was in India several years ago. Much kind of the same thing. We were traveling around the country. We were in a six-hour train ride. India has more trains than any place, I think. Uh, more people travel on trains in the country. And so I was, I was, we were going through this as a group, and it was tiring. And, and the smell was much like a, maybe a homeless shelter. It's, you know, over there. And with the crowds around you so much on the trains and then at the depot. And we were at the depot, and I was looking out from upstairs down on the balcony downstairs, and there was a sea of people. And I saw it like Jesus saw it, somewhat like it. 98 99%, I don't know, of those people who have never received Jesus, many of them have never heard the name of Jesus at that time. And I saw the multitudes. I says God, God, something has to be done. Are you looking? Are you looking in your neighborhood? Are you looking at your school? How do you see people? Are they kind of in your way? Kind of a little bothersome? Kind of just fighting the crowd and getting yours? Or do you see? Are you looking? The disciples weren't looking. Sometimes I look, sometimes I don't. But when I look, I see. But once you see... Then you begin to feel. You feel like Jesus felt. If you're a born, I believe if you're a born-again Christian, and there's only one kind, Christian, but if Jesus lives in your heart, you're truly a follower of Christ, when you finally, we don't always look, but when you look, you see, and you're going to be moved with compassion. You're going to feel it in your bones. So we feel, we begin to feel like Jesus Really felt. The Bible says in Psalm 126 that we're going to sow in tears, we'll reap in joy. We'll reap a harvest of joy. It's talking about sharing the good news. Are we, are we still are we crying anymore? I remember back in, at Cole Falls College, we, we went out witnessing and sharing Christ. And one guy, man, he just really got into it so much so that he just couldn't get the courage up to share. And he just tears coming down his face. I just, I just can't seem to do it. The tears, reaping, and joy. And then we need to understand what Jesus knew. What did he know? Look with me in verse 37. He says, Then said he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Do you see that? We don't see that. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ready, and any time that you have a harvest whether it's fruit, wheat, whatever it is, if there's, if there's not enough people to do the work and receive the harvest in, it rots. It's just going to rot on the vine. And so there's, the harvest is out there. People are ripe. It's low-hanging fruit. They're ripe for the picking all over the world, all over our neighborhoods. But we don't see that. What do we see? We see a lot of Christians and very few prospects. We see slim pickings out there for people who really want to know the Lord. We see just the opposite sometimes. It's like, you know, that old story about the shoe salesman, two two guys selling shoes. And they send one out to one third world country and another shoe salesman to another third world country and say, you know, what do you need? You know, just call us and and, uh, tell us what you need. The first guy went out and said, you know, just bring me back home. Nobody wears shoes here. And the second guy said, bring me thousands of pair. Everybody here needs shoes. See, we don't see. It depends on how we look. But do you find yourself saying, you know, this person next to me on the plane, this person that sits next to me in school, this person I work with, they don't want to hear it. It's just a lot of persecution. They joke. but They're joking, but they're still looking. They're hoping you're right. You say, well, how, how do you know that? I know that. They're hoping. They're, they're lonely. They, they, they don't have the connection. They're missing something on the inside. One of my favorite stories about this did happen with Irwin McManus. And Erwin went to, uh, <clears throat> McManus went to seminary, actually, when we went to seminary. And he went, since has gone out to California, Los Angeles, started a lot of churches. And, uh, you know, he's not the suit type of guy or anything like that. He's, he's one of the, I guess, one of the original guys uh, with the new generation. And uh, he started a lot, of, you know, the thing is, I didn't know this, he was, he was raised in Orlando, Florida, and he tells a story about having friends in his neighborhood. I mean, we're talking about it in the inner city, and he was poor, and there was a lot of home problems, but he befriended some guys at school, and they invited him to church every once in a while, and every once in a while he went to church, heard the message, and was touched by it. He said, I can remember going out to my backyard and begging God to help me. God, you've got to help me. you got to help me. You gotta sh- If you're real, if you're real, show me. Show me yourself. And no message ever came from anybody around him. Long story short, <clears throat> when he was about 21, 22 years old, he received Christ, as I remember the story. He received Christ, and he said, the lid just came off. The joy was there. All of a sudden, he could see like he could never see before. But he thought to himself, why didn't my high school friends ever tell me about this? Nobody ever told me. They invited me to church every once in a while. But nobody ever told me about Jesus and the answers that he has to life. And so he began to look them up and knock on their doors. He found his best friend in Tampa, Florida. He knocked on his door and he said, Whoa, Irwin, man, I haven't seen you in the last few years. Where have you been? He said, I want to ask you one question. Why didn't you ever tell me about Jesus Christ? Now that's pretty forward. And his friend said, I don't know. I guess because I didn't think you were interested. I thought you were kind of a gang member or something. Some kind of gangster. That's what it, how he put it. I, did, I just didn't know. I just didn't think you were interested. Don't we? look at the world that way. we got to understand things the way that Jesus Christ understands them. That the world is empty without Jesus Christ. They're, they're empty. They're lonely. They're looking for something. They, have, they lack purpose. And even though they're going from purpose to purpose to purpose, and I'm not saying everybody's going to say, oh please tell me about the hope that is within you. But when they stop you think they're not listening. And you think that they're not watching. They are watching. They're watching your every move. That's the reason they question some of the things that you do. It's not that they're picking on you, they just want to know are you real? They've seen fake too much. Are you the real thing? And they're hoping that you are. Well, my goodness, how in the world? Is it going to happen? Well, look look down with me in verse 38. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. What you're going to understand is this. What you're going to discover is this. You pray every day. I would challenge you today to pray every day for the Lord of the harvest. Pray every day that God would send laborers out into the vineyard, you might say. Laborers out into the world, they would serve God and be sent with a gospel message. I promise you, when you start praying that, God's going to lay on your heart to be one of those who goes out into your world where you are, where you live, where you go to school, and you're going to be that answer to prayer. And that's what he's knowing right here. Well, we look at this, so, well, how are you going to be prepared for that? Oh, I mean, my goodness, just take Matthew, for example. Matthew, man, he's sitting there, he's seeing all these miracles, and then uh, he's sitting back down at his table, his tax collecting table, and he's sitting down. So, man, how am I going to go back to this? Collecting taxes and, you know, just making more money. How am I going to go back to cheating, cheating everybody, answering to the Roman Empire? And all of a sudden, he's kind of fiddling around with his paperwork and money, and he sees this figure standing right in front of him, looks up, and the same Jesus that just, he just saw perform miracles standing right before him and says, Matthew, follow me. He gets up, drops everything that he has, and follows Jesus. Now, what if Jesus would have said, now, Matthew, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to follow me around. <clears throat> I don't have time for that. What I want you to do is just go out and just tell everybody how, what happened to you. And so Matthew goes out. He tells one guy and another guy and a lady and, and a crowd, and, and, and they're asking questions. Well, what do I, what I do from here? I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know what to do. Well, I mean, how do I grow? I don't know. Nobody ever told me. But I'm kind of lonely. I'm kind of out here by myself. I don't feel like I have any support. Yeah, I don't either. What about, do you ever get discouraged? Sure. Do you ever fall f- to temptation? I think I do. I feel convicted of my sin, but I'm not sure, since I don't have a Bible, nobody even gave me an Old Testament here, I'm not sure what's good and what's bad. I don't have any, I don't have any knowledge. How are we going to get, you know, our, uh, in fact, let me, let me share, one of the, my favorite uh, preachers of all time, you know, evangelists, because he was so funny. Back in years ago, there's a guy by the name of Bob Harrington. I think he's still alive today and, uh, and is an older man. But Bob Harrington was just a, he's a funny, funny guy. I mean, he tell his life story and all the things that went on, and it was just kind of a natural, um, humorous thing. But he tells about his story about how he got saved. Now, he was an insurance salesman, and uh, he looked at everybody as a prospect. And one day, one night, he was riding back home, and he thought, man, there's a revival going on right over here, a series of meetings right over here. I can go in that church. I can get a bunch of people around me, and I I can write down a bunch of prospects there. Plus, my wife likes it when I go to church. I can tell her about it. So he stops in, and there's uh, his church. Revival going on. He's looking around. He sees a guy by the name of Otis. He knows Otis, his wife. I just sit with Otis. So he sits down, took, takes out his little book, starts writing down that, that person over there, there, that guy, he's good for a 10,000 policy. And here's a guy over here for a 20. I think I can get him for 25. And he puts it back in. He said, The music starts. That's fine. Music starts, and he sang before, so he just stood up, opened up the hymnal, and sang. And then the preaching started. And at first he got a little uncomfortable. And finally he said, I, he said, I felt something I never felt before. It's just. He said, I know now it's the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I, I felt convicted about what this guy was saying. And I thought, God, you're working on somebody. It must be Otis. And I'm just sort of getting the after effects, you know. And uh, he said, you know, you just keep working on Otis, but leave me alone. But he said he just kept preaching. He said, I got, I, he said, I got more and more convicted. So finally, the invitation's given. I run forward. I give my heart to Jesus Christ, the pe- preacher put out his hand to greet me. He said, I didn't want any more handshaking. I just grabbed him and hugged him, and I was crying. And on the way home, I couldn't wait to tell my wife what had happened to me. And so I was speeding, and I saw this blue light right behind me. So the policeman pulled me over. I rolled down my window. He said, you know, you were speeding. What's going on? He said, officer, you wouldn't believe this. I got saved tonight. He said, what? He said, I got saved. He said, well, I never heard that one before. And he said, no, he he told him all about it, his testimony. And finally, the policeman said, I need what you have. How do I get that? Bob Harrington said, what you need to do, because he said, I hadn't thought about that. I thought for a minute, I said, what you need to do? Tomorrow night, you need to go down to that Baptist church. He knew the the one down there in town. You go down to that Baptist church. You walk in there at 7 o'clock and you look for a guy by the name of Otis. (laughs) And he said, you sit beside Otis, and you wait for that preacher to start preaching. Buddy, you'll get it. You'll get it. He said he had no idea. How how are you going to know? How are you going to know? You know that by getting trained at church. You can't be the church unless you come to church and learn from the church. Our Our mission statement, building lives that matter, By leading people into a growing relationship with Christ. How do we do that? We do that through a baseball diamond type of uh, structure. We reach, teach, serve, send. Now, first base is reach. You've been reached for Christ. You say, well, I want to be sent. Well, that's good. You just share what Jesus has done for you. But how are we going to get around the bases? You say, well, what I want to do is just, I I just want to skip second base altogether. I don't want to go there. So we get to third. No, that's not baseball. You go through the teaching. You learn, and then you serve, and you learn even more, and you are sent. Why is the church here? It's to encourage you, to edify you, to educate you, to instruct you. Now, I know we're here to worship God and to honor Him supremely. I know that. I'm just looking at the other side of things. We are here to learn from one another. We are learned we are here to learn how to overcome temptation, to, to know what to do in persecution. Times come. Notice what it says in verse, um, verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. He's sending them out, the 12. Why? To serve. Why? To learn. He's going to leave them one day. Luke tells us is not only did he do it this time, but then he sent out 70 people another time. But notice in verse 16, it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as servants and innocent as doves. Well, how are you going to do that? You're going to hang around. Well, they hung, hung around with Jesus for three and a half years. How are you going to do that? It's the church, a church where you're learning something. Now, somebody says, well, hey, look, nothing about that stuff. In fact, if you are a real true believer, you just go out and start telling people what Jesus did for you, and that's all you need. All right, let's, let's apply that a little deeper. Suppose you wanted to be a pilot. Well, that's all you need. You want to be a pilot. Now, why don't you go and fly that plane for you? And you get back in and you say, well, how do you crank it up? No, you, you go through pilot training. I was on a plane one time, a, a, tw- a twin engine plane, and a uh, guy looked beside me and said, You want to fly this? And I said, Yeah, you know, I do. And so I began to fly. And he says, You're, at first I did such a lousy job, he took over, but he says, You want to try it again? And he showed me a couple of little things to do, instructed me a little bit more, and I was flying that thing. I was fl- flying it for about an hour or so. We we're, were getting ready to land. And he says, You know, I think you can land this. I said, no, no, I cannot land it. He says, no, I really think you can. And I said, well, we will not be finding out. <laughs> I'm not trained. I'm not trained to do that. Well, you're a surgeon. You want to be a surgeon? Oh, well, congratulations. One of our middle school guys over here wants to be a servant. Hey, a surgeon. You don't need all that training stuff. That's your desire. You just go, here's a scalpel. You go in there in the operating room and find that guy's gizzard. I'm sure it's there somewhere, you know. <laughs> Or that appendix, you know, like that commercial. We'll figure it out. No, they need training to do that. And for us to be sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves and the most important thing that anybody could ever do, living the Christian life before the world, being the church to the world, being that attraction to the world, you got to know how. You've got to have the training even with all the disciples' training for those three and a half years. Here's what it says at the day of Pentecost. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. They were together, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed together had all things common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, any that had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all. Look at, look at that. What were the results of this? They had favor. They weren't being looked upon as the church. Oh, a bunch of hypocrites. They weren't being looked upon as the church. Oh, they don't do anything except for serve themselves. They, they, were, they had favor because they were meeting together they were teaching one another they were supporting one another they were encouraging one another and then they did something with when they broke the huddle they played the game and that's what we need to do we do have a class we do have a huddle and somebody says well who's going to teach all these people well of course we get some teaching through the pulpit well, most people would say, well, that's kind of the job of the pastors. Isn't it? We, don't we pay them to win our souls for us? Don't we pay them to um, teach all the classes? Actually, I guess the difference between a very small church and a, a larger church is that in the smaller church, it's done, things are done, if I can say this, fear and trembling here, a little less scripturally most of the time because the pastor does do most of the work. He does do as far as the spiritual work, the visiting, the teaching But here's what Paul said in the Bible. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds and teachers he gave to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The Bible presents me as a minister. Yes, I am a minister. Just like I'm a dumb sheep, just like everybody else. But the Bible also calls me a shepherd. So I'm a shepherd and a sheep at the same time. Sheep to God. Well, there's no doubt I'm a minister as far as God's concerned. But as far as a calling is concerned, I'm more of an ad minister. I add to the ministry. The staff adds to the ministry. We, we, we can work 50, 60 hours a week because that's our vocation in order to set things up for you to come and maybe work three, four, five, six hours a week at a church or maybe sometimes less. But we're the ad ministers. We administer things administrate things, lead things so you can be freed up to the work of the ministry. And we equip as well because everybody has a spiritual gift. Everybody here that's a born-again believer, you have a spiritual gift. Now, the difference between a talent and a spiritual gift, a talent is something you get when you're born. A spiritual gift is something you get when you're born again, We're born the second time, when you're born spiritually. So you have it. You may not know what it is. And the only way you're really going to find out what it is is to do something. It's just pitch in, jump in somewhere, get into the game and you'll find out what you like to do and what you don't like to do. You pray about it and God leads you to a ministry for a season in your life. We have different burdens. Some people have a burden for the high school ministry, some for the, for the preschool ministry. Some people have a burden for Awanas. Some people have a burden, on the other hand, to, to greet in the foyer, to be part of our first impressions ministry. We have different experiences that lead us but we learn so much of this in a small group and you know that when you serve you know this. When you serve you get more out of it than anybody else. Talk to some of our teachers. You know somebody says well you know let's see Pastor you preach about what 20 minutes? Okay. Yeah and then I'm getting started. (laughs) You know Really, about 35, 40 minutes, how much do you study? 35 or 40 minutes? No, maybe 15 hours on one sermon. So I know more than, than you know. I, I, can't get, I can't teach you everything that I've studied. The adult teachers, the youth teachers, they, they get more out of the lesson than you do. And so through service, we grow in the Lord. Every minister, everybody's a minister, and everybody's important. And the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, we have all these ministry booths out here in the foyer, and in our atrium. And I know you're thinking, hey, all this sermon's just to get me out there and sign up. Well, that's part of it. But that's not all of it. Because you need to also realize something very important. Because here's where all this fits together. You, you ask the question, how does this fit into evangelism? Because every single one of our ministries here is redemptive. It's all about not only leading people to Christ, but training them up, that those people that are trained will go out in the world, be the church, and lead others to the Lord. Our cart drivers, our greeters. Suppose somebody shows up, they show up to church, and they've been fighting in the car you know, the whole time. You know what I'm saying, reaching back and trying to find that leg, you know, with that child, and they get out, they're about to get out of the car, and they say, now, kids, Y'all, we're here at church, we're at church, y'all act saved. And so then they get out of the car and they get out of the car, Car driver pulls up, big smile on his face and says, hey, you want like a ride? Well, I guess so, I guess so. So you get on there and, and the guy says, well, or well, the lady says, where would you like to go? Looks like you have one go to preschool, another one to children. Is it is that uh, a middle schooler? Yeah, yeah, well, let me show you where you need to go. And they begin to point it out. But you walk right through those doors, and a greeter is going to greet you and show you where you need to go. They'll take you there. And so they walk in. and By this time, they're feeling pretty good, friendly church. They walk in. They're being greeted. They're taken to the welcome desk. They're taken to the small groups or maybe right, ushered right here into the worship center, depending on where they would like to go. But their child's taken. Uh, uh, they lead their child downstairs to the nursery and the preschool area. They come right back up here into worship. And then the music goes on. They go, wow, this is great. I don't know the songs, but everybody else seems to be glad to be here. And then the preaching comes. We'll, We'll skip that part. But afterwards, then you're greeted again. And maybe someone talks to them and builds a relationship a little bit, maybe goes to see them, maybe has coffee with them. Everything that we do is redemptive. Well, then they go to small groups. Maybe once they're saved or maybe as they're approaching that decision, they go to a small group. And it's there they discuss things. They can ask questions. They're taught about the family. They're taught about fellowship. They're taught, they're taught maybe on Wednesday night about how to uh, operate a budget. They're, they're taught just practical things. But they also learn about the Bible. And when you learn about the Bible, you learn about God. The more you know about God, the more you can trust him. The more you can trust him, the better your life's going to be. So you're in a small group, and now you begin to really grow in the Lord. There's preschool. That's where we teach our children to love Jesus, care for them. How do we do that? Well, we we tell them all the time Jesus loves them, but also just the care of the people that are taking care of our preschoolers. Our children's ministry. Did you know most people come to know Christ during their elementary school years? And so we want to teach them not only to love Jesus, but to know Jesus. And then get into middle school and high school, we want to teach them to trust Jesus with their life. How in the world can they follow Jesus as an adult without trusting Jesus as they grow in Christ? And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, every teenager, it's been estimated, needs five adults in their life to bring a positive influence in their life. Five Christians to bring a positive influence. You could be one of those. By getting involved in somebody else's life, you could be responsible for a young person leaving this church fully equipped to handle what's going on in the world. As they say, a sheep sent out among wolves. You say, well, that's just not my gift. You know, it's just not my gift. I'm, I'm not sure that's my gift. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think I'm going to have to, to wait. You know, no, you need to get in the game. Uh, my, we were at a kind of a family thing at Christmas several years ago. And I've never done this before. I've only seen it on TV, all right? And I, hey, I decided to try it since there was nobody else around. Well, uh, one of the relatives was eating a late lunch, going back, I guess, and, you know, we all graze during Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know? He's going back, he's grazing. And my brother-in-law and I were talking, and all of a sudden... He, this, this relative comes toward me and going like this, you know, he's choking. And he had swallowed a piece of ham whole. I didn't know that at the time. And so I told him to turn around. I gave him the Heimlich renew, maneuver, and it worked because that, that piece of ham came flying out. But anyway, you know, I don't want to get into that too much. But anyway, man, that's the only time I've ever saved anybody's life, I guess. And my brother-in-law said, you know, I, I, was just, I was just like, what do I do? What do I do? Now, we could have said, you know, that's kind of a service ministry. It helps. It's not my gift. It's not my gift. <laughs> now, um, I got, you know, mercy, you know, it's eh, probably not my gift. I got a lot of mercy. I know I, I have a lot of mercy because I've never used it. In it. But anyway, uh, no, seriously. But, <clears throat> hey, it's just not my gift. Let's go get, I wonder if Pam's here. Pam has the gift of service and helps. Let's, let's go get Pam. Now Pam's gone to the you know, mall with her mom. "Man, I guess you're just out of luck. You're going to choke. You're going to die. I hope Jesus is your Lord. Um, no, I, I did what I could. I did what I could, though it's not my gift. Not only does it helps, but I'd never given high maneuver in my life. I'm just glad they were doing it right on TV. You know that's all I got to say. I'm sure he is today, too. But you got to get into the game. Do something. You think, I, you know, I think I'll, I like that. I think I'll like this ministry. I think I'll do that. There's a place uh, that you'll have. Um, actually, I thought I had it with me. But, um, yeah, here it is. Ministry Interest Survey. And you need to just maybe just take this and look it over and there are some descriptions on the inside of some of these ministries, but they're brief descriptions. So that's why we have these ministry booths set up. So you could go immediately after the service, you can ask somebody, uh, maybe a ministry that you're kind of interested in, and say, Tell me about that. Maybe get to know somebody in that ministry before you just try it out. We're not asking you to sign up for a lifetime, we want you to just try it out, give it a shot. And see if you can be a part of the answer and the solution to life. So we'll invite you to go to the ministry fair. I mean, why not? I mean, after all, that's what you were made for. We're created in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, for good works. We've been foreordained for good works to minister to other people around us. Now, sometimes... I don't look. You don't look. But I know people that have looked, really looked, and saw what Jesus saw and felt very little, felt nothing, or not enough to do anything about it. When you're in that situation, I'm just wondering if there's another question here that we need to ask. And that is, if you don't feel the compassion that Jesus felt, is Jesus really living in your life. I'm not saying that to insult anybody. I'm saying that as a concern because I know you can be a good person and still not be a Christian. That's where I was. You can be a good person. I, I think that as I look across this church, we have a lot of really, really good people here. In fact, I can't tell sometimes whether you're a believer or not. I really don't know. But maybe you know. And eternity is too long to be wrong. And one of the tests that come involved, oh, we, we don't always see it, do we? But when we see it, are we driven to do something about it? Are we driven to help? Jesus never left a person that needed to be healed without healing them. But the gospel is already always primary. It's primary to you. So if you've never received Jesus into your heart before we go out uh, to these ministry booths here in just a few minutes, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ into your life and heart with heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's the, the cry of your heart, and you're saying, you know, I just, I'm not feeling it. I just don't know if it's all there. Why don't you make sure this morning, and you can do so by praying with me right now. And it's a prayer asking Christ to come into your heart and life. Would you pray with me now? Lord God, <clears throat> I'm grateful for your love. I'm grateful that Jesus came and died on the cross for me. And I know I'm not where I need to be because I'd be living differently and I'd be feeling differently as well. And so, Lord, if I've never been saved, if I've never really become a Christian, I invite you this one last time to come into my heart in life. Forgive me of my sin and help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you look this way? You'll find a uh, Cross Life welcome card inside your bulletin. Tommy told you about it just a little while ago. Here's what I want you to do. We're not going to have a come forward invitation this morning. So here's what I want you to do if you prayed that prayer. Or made another decision in your life. On the back of the card, it says, my decision today. It's got a column of choices that you can make, little boxes that you can check. The very first one, I've decided to surrender my life to Christ and begin a personal relationship with him. If you prayed that prayer, put a little check in that box, make sure we get the information on the front of the card that we need because I want to get you some literature on what you do next. I, I was never given that. And Matthew was, and other disciples were, they follow Jesus. I want to just give you some, make sure you get some literature that you need to take the next steps with him. All right? I want to help you. And so put that and then place it in the offering plate when it's passed. If you're visiting with us, just make that your offering to us today that you'll put in the visitor's card, the welcome card, whatever, even if you haven't made a decision today. So I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray over the offering today. I'd like to pray over you. But as we lead in prayer, I'd like to pray over uh, a little baby that was born uh, very recently and premature Stan Schultz's um, granddaughter, Sadie Rose. And uh, Sadie is in and out of the hospital now. She has seizures, and they don't know what's really going to happen in her life right now or if she's going she's to pull through or not. And so we pray for the Erickson uh, granddaughter. Grand, um, uh, Granddaughter, a few weeks ago. She's doing better. So now we want to pray for Sadie Rose. Let's pray. God, we do pray for Sadie Rose right now. Thank you, Lord, for touching others in their life. Thank you, Lord, for healing many in the New Testament. And God, we don't ask you as a sign to increase our faith. We just ask you out of compassion, Lord, that your hand would be upon Sadie Rose's body. I pray, God, that you would develop things in her brain and life that were not developed in the womb because she came early. And God, I pray that not only would you heal her for the time being, but Lord, I pray that you would heal her thoroughly, that she would have a productive life in the future. And then, Lord, we pray for the offerings today. Thank you, Lord, for the mission trips we're able to take because of the generosity of your people. And now, God, we pray that we continue to be generous, knowing that there's a lot at stake. And we can't do it all, no matter how much we serve. We need to partner with other people. And other institutions to do that work as well. And that's what we're doing through our giving. And we'll pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.